In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever to the ages of all ages, Amen. As we are living these days of the Holy Spirit, um, the time between Pentecost uh, and, uh, and, and the Coptic New Year is the season of the Holy Spirit in the Coptic Church. It spans about a third of the liturgical year. And um, as we're living these days of the Holy Spirit, we have to ask ourselves, what is, what is um, the, the church trying to teach us by placing this gospel of the raising of Lazarus at this time? Lazarus died. And it was very clear, very, very clear that Jesus had a very special relationship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And Jesus says something which is very strange. Imagine one of your close friends has passed away. And Jesus says to his disciples, But for your sakes, I am glad that Lazarus has died, that you might believe in me. He says this to his disciples. In, in verse 15, he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. What a strange thing for Jesus to say. I'm glad my friend died. And then why? That you may believe? It's very strange. It's very strange. We can see here that in terms of priority, the Lord Jesus Christ places belief in Him on a higher level than preventing Lazarus from dying. Now you know how the story ends. So you know that like, if Lazarus dies, Jesus can just bring him back from the dead. And if Lazarus died again, he could bring him back from the dead. And if he died 10 times in a row, Jesus could just bring him back from the dead. So maybe it doesn't really, maybe it's, maybe Lazarus dying, you know, is, is actually not that catastrophic. To us, to you, to me, a friend, a dear friend, a, a family member, a neighbor dying is catastrophic. But it would seem to Jesus, maybe not. But what is catastrophic to Jesus? What's catastrophic to Jesus is for us not to believe. And the reason for that is because if we don't believe, then we, we, we get to interact with these holy things. We get to participate in these holy things without appreciating what they are. You know, um, people frequently forbid themselves from having Holy Communion because they say, I'm not ready. And in the church here, we've announced several times, time and time again, time and time again, please do not forbid yourself from having Holy Communion. If you think there's a reason why you should not be participating in Holy Communion, please come and ask the priest and he will tell you whether that is the case or not. In my 40 days in, in the monastery, we would get these buses of pilgrims coming to the monastery. Um, sometimes they would arrive early and sometimes they would arrive right at the time of Holy Communion. And so we were five priests ordained together, a, a whole bunch of us jokers, uh, all, all uh, uh, ordained together. And we had a great time for 40 days together. Anyways, and... Uh, we didn't know what to do with these people. I mean, they, they're arriving literally two minutes before communion. Do you give them communion? Do you not give them communion? What do you do? So we asked the monk who was teaching us, what are we supposed to do with these, people, these pilgrims who come? And he said, look, when somebody comes to you, 
when someone comes to you and asks you if they can have Holy Communion, but I have this, but I came late, but I'm sick, but I had to take my medicine this morning, but ask them the question which really matters. Does it really matter that they took their pills that morning with a sip of water? Does that, is, that really, is that really the heart of the matter? Or is the heart of the matter, are you prepared? When St. Paul speaks about this topic, when St. Paul speaks about this topic in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be very careful, because some of you are participating in the Lord's table without discerning the body and the blood of Christ. And you will be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. Well, those are big words. So people hear those words, and then they, and then they say, well, oh, this is, this is serious stuff. I had better not have Holy Communion. But what's, but what is, what is the point here? And I'm just using this as an example. Like this is a, a very specific example, but we're going to get back to the big picture in a second. What's the point here? The point is that, are you discerning that this is the body and the blood of Christ? When you look at the altar table, do you see bread and wine? Or do you see the body and the blood of Christ? Are you living with, 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 your, with eyes that see the material world? Or are you living with the eyes of faith? When you see a, 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 a person panhandling on the street, do you see an irritation of somebody who is going to ask you for money and then if you don't give them, you're going to feel guilty. But if you give them, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know what they're going to do with it or they're going to go buy drugs or alcohol. I don't know. Right? And, and, and you know, do you, do, you see, do you see a moral dilemma? Do you see an irritation? Do you see a, a social problem? Do you see an opportunity for social justice? Or do you see Christ? Or do you see Christ? What do your eyes see? But your eyes can only see that which you are willing to believe in. That's, that's tweetable. Your eyes can only see that which you are willing to believe in. To, to, on a, trying to illustrate the same thing in several sermons before, I talked about my passion for real estate and how I'd go house shopping with Mary, my wife, and I've done tons of renos in the past. And I would walk into these wrecks these houses that are like, if you sneeze, the thing is going to fall on you. Some of them, we have to wear a hard hat just to walk, just to walk into the place, right? And I'd be like, this is great. We could knock this wall down and this, and we could extend the kitchen and look at the view. Oh my goodness. You don't get location like this in Toronto. Like, you know, they, they, you know, land, they stopped making it about six billion years ago, right? So this is great. This is an awesome location. And, and Mary, my wife, would be horrified by these houses, you know? And because, you know, I'm not blaming anybody, but I mean, I, I had the, the, the past experience that gave me the confidence to believe, to believe, to see that which is... I'm not looking at what... I'm not looking with my eyes. I'm looking with with my faith, at what can be, what could possibly be. And, and, when, and, and where, where are we going to get this faith? You know, in the, in the story of the real estate, it's because I've done tons of renos before with friends. I lived in Vancouver. Everybody was flipping houses. Everybody in their neighbor was flipping houses, right? So that's what you did in your free time. You went and helped a friend, rip out his kitchen, do some tiling, whatever. I learned tons of skills that I was so grateful for because I had so much free time, of course, um, when I was in Vancouver. That was sarcastic. But anyways, um, so I... I so where do, in, in the context of, of faith, of believing in God, 
where do you where do you get where do you get that experience that allows you to believe like 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 king like david when he goes to fight goliath saul gives him all this armor and it's all clunky and this huge shield and a sword he can hardly lift and then he just takes it all off and he says no 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 i'm just going i'm just going to go as i am and saul says what do you mean you're just a boy you're going to go before he is a he was he, he has been a man of war since he was a boy he says you are a youth but he has been a man of war since his youth come on you at least need some armor or something and he says king david says or david at the time a little shepherd boy says to king saul he says he who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will also deliver me from the hand of this philistine well he had something to go back on so what are you and i gonna go back on saint peter tells us he tells us desire the milk of the world word Imagine yourself to be like, 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 like a newborn child, right? What do newborns do? They eat, they sleep, they poo, right? That's, that's it. That's about it. And when any of those things are slightly out of order, slightly out of kilter, they, you, you, you delay a meal by, by 30 seconds, they do the fourth thing. They cry, right? And that's it. That's all they do, right? And he's telling us, be like newborn babes desiring the milk of the word and if you don't get it cry if you don't get it scream why because it's there it's there that you're going to find the the beginning building blocks of faith faith comes through hearing the word of god saint paul says and that's where we're going to find the beginning of the building blocks that are going to open to us and reveal to us and unfold to us the mystery of god right and that's what we are. We're like these newborns. All we're meant to do is all we're meant to do is to is is to is to live on this word of God. And every now and again we poo and we need to be cleaned up. That's repentance and confession. And we need to rest in him. And we need to rest in him. I want to share with you one very specific promise that he says. See, Jesus doesn't see the death of Lazarus as a, a catastrophic event. You know, this, there were very few places that Jesus could go and rest and be himself. And Bethany was one of those places. And it was because of the house of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And by the way, you probably never thought about it this far. But if Lazarus is gone, he can't go to Mary and Martha's house anymore. <laughs> right? He can't, a single guy, go and stay at these, you know, young unmarried women's home right that would be very inappropriate i mean this should have been a great loss to jesus but he doesn't see it that way because he has eyes of faith that can see you know the the, the shortest verse in the new testament jesus wept the shortest verse many people have talked about why did jesus weep at the tomb of lazarus one of the fathers i believe it's saint john chrysostom but i'd have to look it up for you to be certain but i believe it's saint john chrysostom says he wept because he could see the soul of Lazarus tormented in Hades. And so he wept over him. As he weeps over every soul who is, who is tormented in Hades. Look at the compassion of the heart of Christ. He didn't weep because he died. Because obviously he, he's going to raise him from the dead. So he knows that. He didn't weep because he missed him. You know, he missed him for what? The, the, the half hour that he was in Bethany while Lazarus was still dead? Right? He's going to raise him from the dead. So why did he weep? He wept because 
he saw his soul tormented in Hades. The doors of paradise were not yet opened. And he saw his friend in Hades and he mourned over him. But does he love Lazarus more than he loves others? No. So this is the heart of Christ. This is the heart of Christ that mourns over... These are the eyes of faith. He's not, looking at, he's not looking at what's in front of him. He's looking through it to a greater and more true reality, a more eternal reality. May God give us these eyes. St. Peter says something, okay? And let's just relish in this. Let's make this the milk of the word that you and I just relish in now for a couple of minutes as we, as, as we tie up all these ideas together. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's, what's St. Peter saying here? St. Peter is saying, you are a chosen generation. Why are they a chosen generation? The people that St. Peter was writing to at that time. Who was he writing to? He was writing to the church that was newly being persecuted. When St. Peter wrote his epistles, his first epistle and the second epistle, he wrote them at the beginning of the persecution, the great Roman persecution, and then about, about five or so years into the great Roman persecution. Christians at, at that time, at the time of St. Peter's first epistle, they were, they were sharing the gospel, they were preaching, they were living this communal life, they were living paradise on earth. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, they become persecuted. So the people were starting to fall away from the faith, some of them. Some of them were saying, maybe this whole Christianity thing is not what it was meant to be. Maybe we were wrong. Sometimes, sometimes we equate success with, in this world and success as our eyes can see it to God's approval or God's blessing. Never like that. Never like that. Never ever. Never ever. God has blessed me with money. Any spiritual person will tell you God has cursed you with money and with wealth. <laughs> why? I'll tell you why. One, you're accountable for a whole lot more. Two, you're likely to depend on it rather than depend on God. Three, the, the opportunity for selfishness only increases. It's responsibility. The bar has gone up for you, my friend. When you were poor, you were accountable for nothing other than your own soul. Now you're accountable for yourself and for who you're going to help, what you're going to do. You're going to give an account for all of that. The spiritual eyes can see. And we, we, God has given me a great job for what? For your comfort? God, God's, God's number one priority in life is to make you comfortable for the 80 years you're going to live here on earth? That's ludicrous in, 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 from eternal eyes. That's nonsense from eternal eyes. Right? I, I'm your coach, okay? I'm your coach and we're training for the Olympics. My, I, my number one priority is to keep you comfortable the entire training period before the Olympics. No, no, don't wake up early and train. No, don't follow some strict diet. Please eat whatever you want, you know. And no, no, don't, don't exercise too much, you know. The, the, like your muscles are going to be achy. And no, 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 don't do that. What kind of coach is that? A coach you should fire, right? No, your coach is on the track at five minutes before you, calling you, shouting in the phone, where are you? You're supposed to be training, this and that. I used to coach basketball. All I did was shout for the entire two hours. 
right? Why? Because I love these boys and I know that they can do better. I know that they can do better and I want them to be the very best that they can be. And by God, they will be. Yes. And God is your coach in this life. These 80 years are, are a time of, 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 of training, of preparation for that which is to come. Eyes that can see. Eyes that can see a kingdom waiting. And so St. Saint Peter can see this. So he says, you are a chosen generation. You're the lucky ones who get to die with Jesus. Your generation. Those before you, they tasted the beauty of the gospel, but they didn't get to see, they didn't get to see what it's like to suffer with Jesus. And we see that later on in the great persecution of the martyrs, that Christ would appear to them in the prisons. I have friends who were persecuted for their faith, imprisoned, tortured for their faith in this 20th century. They show me their scars. And several of them have seen Christ himself. One of them, one of them had been tortured so many times. Christ appeared to him so many times in prison that he had developed such a closeness with Christ. At one point, he was in so much pain, racked with pain. The, the, the kind of abuse he suffered in, in prison for, for Christ's sake is unfathomable. I'm not going to go into details of children in the audience, but let's just say it's like graded R, okay? Anyways, one point Jesus appears to him in prison while he's in his cell racked with pain. And Jesus tells to him, Jesus tells him, he tells him, Jesus, I'm in so much pain. And he says, Jesus says to him, yes, and you've done this all for me. And he turns to Jesus and he says to him, look at my back. Look at my back. You can't even recognize it. And Jesus shows him his wounds and he tells him, look at my wrists. Look at my side. Come here, put your hand in my side. And the moment he just touched Jesus' side, all of his pain went away. You think somebody would forget that for their whole life? When he tells this story till now, he tells a story with tears streaming down his face. This man is now almost in his seven, late 70s, and he's more active than you and me put together. He, he, he is going everywhere in, 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 in the streets, telling people about Jesus all the time. He's unstoppable. He's unstoppable. But it came, it, he doesn't... He, he, he learned not to see, he learned to see that he's, he's lucky, he's chosen, he's special. He's a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Well, what do priests do? They offer offerings. Isn't that what they do? They offer sacrifices. What's your sacrifice to offer? Your prayers, your intercessions for the whole world. God has put you where you are, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your school, in your job, in your, in your particular context. God has put you there for a reason. I don't know what the specific reason is, but the general reason is this. So you can be an intercessor. You know people by name. 
You know their needs. You know their hurts. You know, you know them. Why? For no good reason? No, you know them for very good reason. So that you can pray for them. I don't know them. I don't know your colleagues at work. I don't know your neighbor who plays their music way too loud. I don't know these annoying people God has put in your life just to annoy you, right? Wrong. He's put them there so that you can know them, so you can know their pain points, and so you can pray for them and intercede for them. And when God is victorious in their lives, you can share in their victory. That is your priesthood. That is my priesthood. The word priest, presbyter, intercessor. That's what the word priest means. It means to be an intercessor. One who stands and prays with. I stand with Daniel and I pray with him. Not pray for him. I pray with him. That's, that's your royal priesthood. And why is it royal? Because God has given you sovereignty. And He's given your prayers sovereignty. And your prayers can shake heaven. They can. It's a completely different topic. But people commonly ask the question, can we change the will of God? The answer is a categorical and absolute, without a shadow of a doubt, yes. Absolutely. He loves that. He loves that. Topic for another day. A holy nation. Why are you holy? What is the word holy in Greek? Agios. What does agios mean? It's a compound word, a, and then gios. What's gios? Geo. What, when you put an a in front of something else in ancient languages, what does it mean? It means the opposite of, atypical, abnormal, uh, and so on, right? So, ageo. Geo world, agios, out of this world. You are a nation which is out of this world. You're not just one person who sees with eyes of faith and believes and intercedes for annoying people and da da da. You're not just one person. There's a nation of you. And you are out of this world. And people look at you and they say, Ah, oh, you're, you're like crazy. You're, I don't know where you're from. Well, what, what do you. Yes, exactly. You don't know where I'm from. But where I'm from, this is normal. Where I'm from, it's normal to love your enemies. Where I'm from, it's normal to find the annoying things in people that drive you crazy and to pray for them. That's what's normal. So that God can heal them. Because God is a God who heals. It's normal. It's normal to do these things. Where I'm from. And yes, I declare plainly that I seek a homeland, that I'm not from here. Yes, absolutely. And finally, you're His own special people. You are... His own special people. You're the ones He's chosen for Himself. You're the ones, you're the ones who He's chosen as His bride. <laughs> people commonly ask, what's heaven like? I heard a very simple answer. Said, honey, he heaven is like a honeymoon. It's great if you're there on this desert island with the one person you'd like to spend the rest of your life with. It's horrible if you're there on this desert island <laughs> with the one person you find most annoying in life, right? That's, that's God has chosen you. He sees you as the one person He would love to spend eternity with. His bride, His chosen, His special people. 
Christ is the chosen one and He has opened the door for us. Why all of this? That we might proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's the one who called us. Lucky are you, fortunate are you, blessed are you. And that's why the word believe comes up in the gospel today ten times. Ten times. You see, it's not about whether Lazarus is alive or dead. And you have some big problem in your life and you want God to solve it, right? And it's not about whether the problem is solved or not. That has nothing to do with anything. That's, that's how many problems have we had in life and, and we've come through them, right? And every year brings new blessings and new troubles and we get through them. And we get through them. The issue isn't, is Lazarus alive or dead? That's not the point. That's not the point. The issue is, do you believe? And if you believe, you'll be able to see such a greater reality than the one before you. Glory be to God forever and ever. Men, I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.